Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Last week we were talking about in Song of Solomon about how our couple um, is much older, and I was talking about how their love has grown, and you know they're much older, and just this whole scenario. And some um, young little punk came up to me and said, "You're just like the couple in Song of Solomon. You're old, and you're still in love with your wife." I'd never seen myself as old. And if you're here tonight, I hope you're embarrassed. <laughs> no, honestly, um, I realized, well, Andre and I have been married, some of you don't know, for almost 30 years. And so, um, yes, Andrea was about six when she married me. Um, <laughs> that's not true. Um, I was. No. <laughs> Oh, great. So I, I had made two, two major enlightenments last week. Number one, uh, make sure when you mention young men to our church um, that you let them know that they're going to follow God, not, a, not some mom who wants to put out there, and I'm old and um, I represent this older couple in Song of Solomon chapter 7. What a beautiful thing for me to leave Sunday night after working so hard. Um, <laughs> Great. We are in Song of Solomon chapter 7. Our couple is old, just like Andre and I. Uh, Married for a long time. They have been in the season of relationship and their love has grown and abounded because they've made it a lifelong marital pursuit to live up to the definition of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love suffered. Like it just goes on and on with this wonderful lifelong pursuit that we are as married couples to pursue. Now, I love this couple because we remember from last week, he has found new ways. So remember, he started from the hair down in the first interaction, and now he's going from the feet up. I applaud him. We talked about on, uh, feet last week. I don't do feet well. Um, and she did it again last night. You did. Yes, you did. Um, and I think she's trying to provoke me. Uh, but then I realized it was my dog at the foot of my bed. So <laughs> I was like, wow, Andre's toenails have grown really long. Uh, but it wasn't her, it was the dog. So I'm thankful that for that. All right, so we got to get to the word. Song of Psalm, what I love about this is that he is purposing in her age to find the beauty because the more they have grown together, the more they have grown in love together. And even though beauty has faded just a little bit, she's more beautiful to him now than she was when they were younger. Because love grows and abounds. And if you remember, we don't see in the Bible the word sex. We see the word knowledge. And Adam knew his wife, and she conceived. 
And the more we get to know each other, the more in love we can fall. Lust will begin to fade. Love will begin to grow. That's what I love about Christian marriage. But there's such a great representation of Jesus. And I, w- I want to show you this. Go with me to 1 Corinthians. You're going to see it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want you to see this, okay? Now remember, they've worked through some issues. They've had a couple of marital fights. They have purpose to be committed one to another. And they've purposed to find the good in each other just like Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I'm going to pick it up there in verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I'll pick it up in verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, the foundation of Christ, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. So when Jesus looks at us with those fiery eyes... He's going to declare what kind of work it was. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If any one work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he'll suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as though through fire. You know what I love about Jesus? There are things in our lives that are wood, hay, and stubble. Wrong motives. Things that we did, like we went to, uh, uh, we ser- let me say that we served at Harvest Fest because she was there. And we served at that booth, at the dunking booth, because she was the one attending it. That's a wrong motive, okay? Now, I'm glad you were here. I'm glad you served. But if you only came for her, that's a wrong motive. That's called a wood, hay, or stubble moment, okay? But if you came here and could care less that she was here, and you're a single guy, and you just wanted to serve the Lord and use your singleness for God's glory, that's gold and silver, because you did it with a right motive. But what I love about Jesus is on that day when the church stands before his throne, he will look at us, his fiery eyes will burn away all of the things that don't matter because he wants to see the beautiful things that do. I love that about Jesus. He removes the ugly to find the beauty. He removes the ugly to find the beauty. We've got to keep that in regards to our marriage. There are some ugly things that can exist in marriage. There can be some trends. There can be patterns. There can be characters, characteristics that may just exist in a marriage. And so the heartbeat is that we need to purpose to get rid of the ugly by finding the beauty. And I want us to see what this guy has found. Go back with me to Song of Solomon. I want you to see what this guy has found in his wife. Now, we're going to go back and we're going to read chapter 7, verse 1, just for a moment. How beautiful, Song of Solomon 7, 1, how beautiful are your feet in sandals, O prince's daughter. Now, what does that remind you of? How beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news. And, O prince's daughter, we are children of the king. The curves of your thighs are like jewels, the work of the hands of a skillful workman. Your navel is a rounded goblet. It lacks no blended beverage. Every time I read this, I can't help myself. That's a pretty big navel. I mean, that's a, a, if, that's a lot of juice in that navel. It lacks no blended beverage, okay? But I want you to see what he's thinking. Your feet are beautiful. You're the prince's daughter. Your feet 
This is a woman that is standing for the gospel. Her navel. She's been cut away from the world. She wants to follow the way of the word. This is what he's thinking spiritually of this woman. Let's read on. Your waist is a uh, heap of wheat set about with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. And then he says, your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes like the pool in Heshbon by the gate of Rathbeam. Your nose is like the tower of Lebanon. Now, within that context, he's describing her beauty. He says, you have You're like the pools of Heshbon. Well, let me tell you what the pools of Heshbon did. They reflected your image. And what he's saying to her spiritually is, you are a wonderful reflection of the Lord. Ladies, what a beautiful thing for the husband to say of you. That you're a reflection of the Lord. Now, I know that wives and hus- that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. That is a responsibility of the male, of the man, of the husband, to love like Christ loved the church. But the woman also has a job that looks like Christ, to submit. You see, Jesus submitted to the Father because he trusted the Father's love. This is my son in whom I'm well, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus obeyed the Father and he went to the cross. You see, both roles, husband and wives, and we're going to dig into this next Sunday at Sunday morning, both roles, husband and wife, have Jesus-like opportunities to reflect. Jesus submitted to his father in the way the wife submits to her husband. And Jesus loves the church in the same way the husbands is to love their wives. Now, they're reflecting Jesus. And Solomon, I believe he says it best in, in Ecclesiastes. Let's remember this couple is older. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, he makes all things beautiful in their time. I met a woman, and she'd been married to her husband for 55 years. And I said to her, how long have you been married? She goes, oh, 55 years. But I've been married to five husbands. I mean, are you the black widow? Like, how did you get... I mean, you've been married to this guy for 55 years. I know how old you are. That would have made you 10 when you first got married to the other four husbands. She goes, no, you don't understand. He's been five different men, and I like the fifth husband that I'm married to. And I thought to myself how profound that statement was, because we do change. And if we choose to commit one to another, we will see each other change, and we get to be a part of that change. We get to be a part of that transformation. He makes all things beautiful in their time. Think of where we started with this lady. He's knocking on the door. My lover, my beloved one, here I am. Knock, 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 knocking at the door. I'm taking a bath. I'm not coming out to you. Think of where we started with this lady. She goes, don't look at me. I'm dark like my brothers. They punish me. They put me out to work. She's insecure. She was angry and she was selfish. But now, our husband has whispered words of love. 
And his love has changed her in the same way the love of Christ has changed us. And she's gone from insecure to secure. She's gone from angry to loving. She's gone from selfish to selfless. Let me explain something. We are all called to be transformed. We're all called to change. And your spouse gets the privilege and the opportunity to be one of the tools of Jesus to help you be transformed into the image of Jesus. That's something to celebrate, not argue about. It's Romans chapter 12. Would you keep your finger there in Song of Solomon? And Romans chapter 12, go there with me. You guys know this scripture. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Here is a calling of God on our lives. I beseech you therefore. Now the therefore is there for a reason. He has spent 11 chapters communicating about the great grace of God in our lives. And because of the great grace of God in our lives, he's begging them by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that you'll show the world what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. There were three cities in the New Testament, Bethsaida, Chorazin, and Capernaum. And Jesus said, woe, Bethsaida, woe, Capernaum, woe, Chorazin, for the works that were done in you, and you chose not to change. And then there was a centurion. And a centurion, a Gentile, came to Jesus. And he said, listen, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but I know if you say the word, my servant will be healed. And he didn't get a woe. He got a wow. I haven't seen anyone like this in all of Israel. And we've got to determine, do we want the woe or do we want the wow? When we change with steps of faith, all of heaven goes, wow, look at my child. But when we choose not to change, knowing the word of God, we get the woe of heaven. And so when we get married, we're agreeing. We are making a covenant for better or for worse. Amen? Hello. This is Sunday night, not Sunday morning. Stick with me, okay? Sunday morning. Sometimes I'll, uh, hello. You guys are Sunday night. Talk to me. For better or for worse. Amen? Okay, there we go. We're agreeing to be a part of a lifetime sanctification of our spouse and ourselves. That's what we're agreeing to. A lifelong process that at the 55 years from now, you as well can say, I've been married 55 years and I like the fifth husband better than I like the first. Amen? 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 
Our man has watched our woman change, and she has watched him change. Go back with me to Song of Solomon. We'll pick it up there. Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 6. How fair and how pleasant you are. Oh, love with your delights. Oh, where are we going with this? So, I need to... She's older, okay? And she's a little wrinkly, okay? Poor Salama has not taken the age spots off, and no amount of oil of Olay can help this thing that's happening, okay? And he looks at her and says, Man, you are stunning. This is a power statement because this man had determined early in their relationship, I'm a one-woman man. He wasn't looking around when they were at dinner. He wasn't looking around when they were driving around. This man had made a decision, I'm a one-woman man, and he is still looking at his woman saying to her, you are so stunningly elegant and beautiful. I don't care what's happened. To me, you're the most beautiful thing on the face of this planet. Oh, love with your delights. Look at verse 7. This stature of yours is like a palm tree, and your breasts like its clusters. I said, in other words, to myself, I'm going to go up that palm tree, and I'm going to take hold of its branches. Now, we don't have to wonder what he's thinking. Look at the next verse. Let now your breasts be clusters of the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples, and the roof of your mouth like the best wine. He has taken over this woman's body. And he has started from the feet, and he's climbed up to the top, and now he is French kissing this lady, and they're 80 years old. Woo! There's hope for all of us. I told you before about our, our mentors, Vivian and Marilyn Liard, okay? I'll never forget pastor's conference. And I think I told you the story, but I got to tell you again. I'll never forget the pastor's conference. They're like 75, 80 years old, okay? And she saw him and he saw her and they started running for each other. And everything was jiggling. I mean, it was like, they're just running. And she just grabbed him and kissed him. And they started French kissing in the church. It was disgusting. And it was beautiful. All I didn't know to look or to smile. or I was like, what is going on here? What an example for Andre and I. Because this guy, he leans over and he's going to kiss her after he's had a little bit of pillow talk with her. The roof of your mouth like the best wine. Now, do you remember when she tried, he tried to romance her at the beginning of their marriage? Do you remember she said, I ain't coming out of the bed. Get out of here. Do you remember that? Now they're lying down with a little bit of pillow talk. Pillow talk is great. Pillow talk is the things that no one else knows 
beside your spouse. It's the communication where you bear your heart and then you're in the middle of telling your wife everything that's going on and you hear this. <laughs> Isn't that right, Andrea? <laughs> I have learned with my wife, I'm going to bear my heart never in bed. And especially not after 9.30. Andre can't stay awake past 9.30. And so I have learned in our marriage, 30 years of relationship, if I'm going to bear my heart, don't do it in bed at 9.30. We have another place that we have the opportunity to have conversation. But remember our gal, she did not want to do anything with this guy earlier in their marriage. And now he whispers to her beautiful, wonderful, romantic pillow talk. And look what she says in Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 9, B. The wine goes down smoothly from my beloved, moving gently the lips of sleepers. I am my beloved, and his desire is towards me. Our wife has changed. Instead of yelling at him, she whispers love back to him. She's woken up. She's in love with her husband. She's much different than the woman in chapter 5. It's amazing how love can change someone. Don't raise your hand. But how many of you have tried anger and it just didn't work? Think about it. You never, you always. Did it help? Did it really help? Like, now, let me tell you about anger in marriage. It will give you temporary relief, but it could cause years of recovery. It can give you temporary relief. It will, oh, thank God I got that out. But it could cost you years of recovery. Let me tell you what James says. If you want to turn there, you're welcome to. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Let me tell you what James says about anger. It's James chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 19 and 20. James 1, 19 and 20. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Now, gentlemen, this does not give you the excuse when your wife wants to talk to you for you to say, well, the Bible says that I am to be slow to speak, so I'm not talking back. Okay, no, no, no. That's not the point of this particular passage. For the wrath of man, he's speaking about anger. Verse 20, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It actually produces recovery. Anger doesn't work. Why not try love? And she responds and says, his desire is towards me. He's still a one-woman man. He only wants me. And what I love about Our Lady, she has found security. She has found affection. She has found peace in his arms. She has been changed. The whispered word has changed her life. Isn't it what the Spirit of God does our entire Christian life? Don't do that. Okay, you need to go on that mission trip. 
Why don't you go over there and say hello to that person? Constantly whispering. Now you remember what the word says. And he's constantly whispering the truth into our heart so that we can purpose to change. And his goal is to glorify Christ. So everything that he's whispering to you is so that your life will glorify Christ. And what I love about this scene is they unite in intimacy. I am my beloved's and his desire is towards me. This word desire, he is passionately still in love with me. Husbands, do your wives know that you are passionately in love with them? Or are you just married? Are you nurturing your relationship or are you just functioning as a spouse? It's important to recognize that because you could have a 1950s marriage. That's what I call them. I don't care what happens. We're going to be married and we're going to die married. I may kill you, but we will be married. You ever been to those couples' homes? They sleep in different beds. Like the whole deal. You know what I'm talking about? Huh? Amen? Some of you are laughing because it's like your grandparents. You know, it's like, it's my grandparents. It's like they got married and they're going to be married no matter what. But that's not a biblical marriage. A biblical marriage isn't simply that you just gut it out. A biblical marriage is that you grow in love and that your wife knows that you are still passionately desiring her. Now, there's a way to keep this going. And in the next portion, we discover the way that we can purpose to grow in our relationship. We enter in verse 11, a new scene. And I want you to see, they're going to give us some advice on how to make sure that we can keep desiring, keep the passion, keep the romance in our relationship. Look what he says. Look what she says in verse 11. Come, my beloved. Let us go forth to the field. Let us lodge in the villages. Let us get up early to the vineyards. Let us see if the vine has budded, whether the grape blossoms are open and the pomegranates are in bloom. She says, let's go on a getaway weekend to Temecula. Let's go to wine country. Let's you and I go and spend some time out in Hammett. Like, let's get out of here and let's go on a little date weekend. She wants alone time with her husband. And the Holy Spirit is revealing the heart for a couple. Now, listen, husband and wife, we need to take note. We've got a purpose to show passion to our spouse. The way that our spouse will receive it. And it's obvious for this woman, she likes getaway weekends in Temecula. She likes to go to a hotel in Temecula and when they open the sliding glass door, there are the vineyards and something happens in her spirit when she looks out and she sees all of the incredible vineyards there in Temecula. You want to keep the passion going? Take your spouse away. Go spend some time out of L.A. Listen. What does a hotel room cost? And I'm not talking about spending a lot of money. 
why wouldn't you want to? Because where your heart is, there your treasure is. And the truth is, if you just save the $4.50 you spend on Starbucks every day, you could take her out every month. Amen? Amen. Wives, do not elbow your husbands right now. The way you can keep your romance is be spontaneous. Show up one Friday. Guess where we're going? <laughs> New York City. We are? Oh, I got to get packed. Let me tell you, when we got married, okay, I stole my wife's suitcase. I stole it. I replaced it with all brand new clothes that her and my mom had gone and she was like, oh, I like this, oh, I like this, I like this. I then went, bought everything, replaced the clothes. When she opened up our bag at our honeymoon, she was shocked. She didn't like anything I bought her. That's why she was so shocked. (laughs) Where are my clothes? I got the wrong suitcase. No, that's actually, I don't like these clothes. No, that's not what she did. She was so wowed at the point of being spontaneous. Sometimes we can get so rut and routine that it doesn't spur passion. Now, Andre and I, usually when we go out, we'll go to one restaurant until we make relationship with that person and we get, have invited them to church and they come and they get saved. It's kind of like San Pedro gym, like at YMCA. We are stuck with that gym until we see that whole gym saved. That's why we go there. We're on a mission field. And that's what you can do. You can actually make your date nights a mission adventure. We're going to this restaurant. We're going to look at our server. We're going to say, we're about to pray, and we're going to pray for you. What would you like to pray for? <gasps> oh, I can't believe you just asked me that. My boyfriend just broke up with me. My whole life is coming to an end. And all of a sudden, our date night turns into a missionary experience. It's the adventure of spontaneity. And I want you to see what else she says. The grape blossoms, the vine, the pomegranates are in bloom. There, I'm going to give you my love if you just take me to Temecula. Whoa, come on, babe. Look at verse 13. The mandrakes give off a fragrance, and at our gate are pleasant, and at our gates are pleasant fruits. All men are new and old, which I've laid up for you, my beloved. We got pomegranates, we got grapes. We got mandrakes, and mandrakes were like the aphrodisiac of, the, of this particular world because a mandrake actually looks like a human being. It's got two roots, and it's got a woman's body, and it has leaves that come out like this. Truly, if you looked at a mandrake, look it up online, it looks like a little human. So people would say, oh, this is a, a, an aphrodisiac. It's to help someone become spontaneous. It's actually like it was the modern way of the time of lighting a candle. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 30, Reuben went out and he brought mandrakes home and he gave them to Leah? Do you know what he was doing? Reuben loved his mother. And he saw that his mother was unloved by Jacob. So Reuben, being a good son, brought home mandrakes so that Jacob would be attracted to Leah. You can read the story. There in Genesis chapter 30. Mandrakes were a way to say, listen, I'm lighting the candle. (laughs) Come on home, babe. 
This is going to be great tonight. We're going we're gonna to have a great experience, and we're going to do some new things. We're going to do some old things, and we're going to do some new things. <laughs> we're married. We can do new and old. Add some spice. Don't get stuck with the same old date night, the same old conversation, the same old, same old, same old. Use those as a foundation to add some new spice into the relationship. And what I love about Our Lady, she is poetically romancing him and she's reminded of the spring where the grapes are in blossom, the pomegranates are in bloom. There I'm going to give you my love. The mandrakes give off their, their, their fragrance. At our gates are pleasant fruits. All men are new and old, which I've laid up for you, my beloved. She's thinking of spring because our guy at his age has sprung into action. She's romanced him. And he's ready to go. Now take a look at what she says in Song of Solomon, chapter 8. Oh, that you were like my brother who nursed at my mother's breasts. All right, that's weird. <laughs> I wish you were my brother. Okay, now I need to let you know something. I'm Bahamian. And in 1985, 1985, they made it law that you could no longer marry your first cousin. Gross. Think about that. There's only 325,000 Bahamians, and they made it law that you could no longer marry your first cousin. I married outside the gene pool. I did not want my children to have three eyeballs. <laughs> so I married someone as far away from the Bahamas as you could possibly imagine, Detroit, Michigan. I married Andrea. Now, I want you to understand, she's not talking about family here. What she's saying is, I wish, there was a, I wish there was never a time where I didn't know you. That's what she's saying. I wish there was, I am so in love you, with you. We've been married 30, 40, 50 years, and I wish the time before we were married that I still knew you. I wish I knew you my whole life, is what she says. I wish I would have known you from the time that I was a little baby. Take a look at verse 8. If I should find you outside, I would kiss you. I would not be despised. I love it. Couples did not show affection in their world. You didn't kiss your spouse. You kissed your dad. You kissed your mother. And you kissed side to side. You kissed your children. But you didn't kiss your wife. And what she's saying, I am so in love with you. I will kiss you in front of everybody. And I don't care what they say. She had no, under, she had no care for anybody in the world as to what they thought about their relationship. She only cared about him. Verse 2. I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother. She who used to instruct me, I would cause you to drink of spiced wine of the juice of my pomegranate. When your wife makes that special dinner, when she lights that candle, take notice of it. It's in the heart of women to do special things. It should be in the heart of men to recognize it. She goes, look, I, I've, made, I've made, basically what she's saying is, I've made a new fruit smoothie for you. 
My mom taught me how to make this one. And so I made it for you. Can you wash the cup? You made this for me? Wow. Your mom's recipe? And it's not burnt? Praise the Lord. She's saying, I just made you the best smoothie in the world for you. I even put a little protein, some almond butter in it. Oh, some celery and kale. Some strawberries and berries and pomegranates. Here it is. You have to decide how you respond when your wife does something special. Andrea got me a sweatshirt for Christmas this year. And after 30 years of us being married, it was like buying me a vacuum. Because I buy all my clothes. Andrea's never bought my clothes. So she buys me a sweatshirt this year. So I decide to return it. Okay, I know this is a mistake, all right? I'm confessing. I go in the store to return it. And the Spirit speaks to me. What are you doing? So I spoke back. I'm returning the sweater. (laughs) I I literally did. Your wife got that for you. I spoke back. I know. That's why she put the receipt in here. She knew I wouldn't like it, so I'm going to go pick something that I like. Why does she know that you don't like anything she buys for you. Is that her problem or your problem? I walked out of the store with the sweatshirt. I put it on, and when she came out of the store that she was in, she saw that I had it on, and she goes, you have on my sweatshirt? And I said, I said, I actually like it. She goes, you do? No, I, it's got, it had our dog on it. And she thought it would be special because it has a German short-haired pointer on it. So she goes, I just thought when I saw that dog that it would be special. And it was, it was our dog. And she goes, and I said, I noticed the same thing. I love the fact that our dog is on there. (laughs) I'm working it. I'm being obedient to the Spirit. And all of a sudden, I see she starts like... My husband liked my sweatshirt. It's like something happened in her spirit because I appreciated what she did. Now, I know what's going to happen. Anytime I confess sin here, you guys use it against me. Okay? I know what's going to happen. All right? Sunday night, don't do it. I don't use your sin. All right? Take a look at verse 3. I could. Your wives call me. Your husbands call me. But I don't do it. Song of Solomon 8. Look at verse 3. His left hand is under my head. We've seen this before. His right hand embraces me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, don't stir or awaken love until it sees, until it pleases. She looks back. This is one of her final entries into the journal. 
And now she's discipling other young ladies. And she says, you know what? We did it right. We did it right. And I'm looking back at my relationship and I'm speaking to you ladies and my husband's holding me. And ladies, I want to tell you something. That's what she's saying. I charge you. I'm discipling you. Don't awaken love until it pleases. Do it right and watch how it will pay off. Now, as a couple, listen, this is most important for your children. Because your children are going to make mistakes. And you get to determine now if you say, learn from my good example or my bad example. Now, you never think of it in your premarital relationship. You're just enjoying it. But one day you will have children. And they're going to have their struggles. And you will get to communicate to them, your mom and I did it right. And look at our marriage. I was talking to a young man. He, was, he had asked my assistant at the time to marry her. Her name was Robin. And I was saying to him, listen, there is no premarital sex. There is no French kissing. And I need you to know, like, I'm going to hold you accountable. And he says to me, oh, you, you probably made all the mistakes and you want to protect me. And I responded to him and I said, no, my wife and I made righteous decisions and now we are bearing fruit in our relationship and I want you to be able to do the same so that when a young man challenges you the way you just challenged me, you will be able to respond and say, follow me as I follow Christ. That's your choice. Amen? Amen. All right. Great job. We did it. We're not done yet. Okay. We got about two more weeks before we finish Song of Solomon. We will close it up with, I believe, the last chapter is one of the best chapters as she is closing up her journal entry of their marital relationship. Now, remember how it began? Let him kiss me all over the place. Wait till you see how it ends. Amen. Amen. Who will be here next week? (laughs) Amen. Hey, I'm going to pray and then I'm going to invite Phil up to, where is Phil? Phil to come up and just close us in one last song. Father, thank you so much for your word. And thank you for the example of this couple. They chose to honor you. And I just pray that as we look at this couple, that we would choose to honor you. And the beauty of Jesus, if we've made some mistakes you can clear the slate for us and we can begin again. And so, Lord, this is not a letter of, or, or a story of condemnation. This should be a story of conviction. This is who I want to be. And so thank you, Jesus, that the standard of your word is so much more. And I pray that your spirit would help us to be what you're calling us to be. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.